Welcome back to another episode of the ICO Alert Roundtable. We're here and we're proud to be here. It is the ICO Alert Roundtable. Another week, we're going to go around the table. What's Q. up, Ev? What's going on, man? I just interrupted you. Go ahead. That's all right, Try man. One more time. It was, I was going to cue Q to come in and introduce himself. Yes. Q, as everyone knows me, at Zachy Q uh, on Twitter. Uh, we always like to have a little Twitter battle here. So yes, at Zachy Q. Now I know you and I are always on the round table and then occasionally someone else tries to sit in and, and steal our spotlight. And who who is that this week? They, who did they, we bring in? They force themselves in really. But, yes, uh, go follow Bitkenstein on Twitter right now. This is Peter <laughs> oh, K, wow. the director of globalization here at ICO Alert. I'm joining Evan and Zach today. How's it yeah. going, Pete? It's pretty good. Thanks for the invite. Yeah. yeah, Pete's one of the more interesting guests we like to have on this podcast because he has really interesting thoughts on really wide-ranging subjects. Yeah. I appreciate mm. you so much. Pete, you can go deep on a variety of subjects that often impress me, but then occasionally I'm impressed by how little you know about something. <laughs> <laughs> you mean like... Uh... I don't know various genres of music that you're into. I don't that know. and many other things. But hey, okay, fair enough. Anyway, hey, welcome hey. to the roundtable, Pete. True, we're happy to have you. So okay. anyway, without further ado, let us dive into some crazy, wacky news that's been going on in the crypto and blockchain space. Yes, please. I'm going to lead off with a bit of news about one of our heroes. Moment of silence, Mr. John McAfee. Mm. R.I.P. R.I.P. Well, no, no, not quite. <laughs> he's still alive. Rest he's definitely still alive. In fact, he might be acting, but the news is that he claims to have been poisoned and he tweeted out that he knows who did it and he's coming after them. Did you guys see this headline? Yeah. Pete, you better run. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah. The only uh, thing he said about who did it is that it wasn't his wife. He uh, actually said that? So far, yeah. Quick rule out of the wife. Yep, yep. Yeah, let's go after the wife first, so. That is interesting. Mm. Who who would have poisoned him? Any number of agencies, according to him, whose names consist of three letters are possible culprits. <laughs> is that oh what he God. said? No, but I can imagine. So how about John McAfee is 72 years old and he has apparently survived assassination attempts before. This isn't the first time this has happened. The man's a aficionado, definitely. He's a renaissance crazy man for sure. I don't know too much about John McAfee, but I know that he's absolutely bonkers. And he's wanted in several countries, maybe. Does he say that? Uh, I don't know. He says that, I think, uh, is like he a says way it. to, yeah. You know what I'm hoping this is? I'm hoping his latest promotion is for some medical ICO thing. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> he said he's going to stop promoting ICOs because the SEC is pressuring him mm. or something like that. Really? Another alphabet agency he, he, mm. in the in that in the midst of the biggest bull run ever he was like putting out like icos of the day icos of the week i remember do you remember that icos of the of the day yeah, oh it was it was like, icos just, of the hour <laughs> and it would immediately pump it was binance it, it was it was at the time when everything was just absolutely pumping john McAfee had like these coins of the day I, yeah one I, of his earliest ones was verge and that was when verge went from like a dollar to twelve dollars or something really fast wow yeah it was nuts it was nuts well didn't he also tweet like a picture of an email that somebody sent him that showed how much he gets paid to 
endorse these things? I think someone ratted him out. That's what happened. Okay, yeah, something think, like that happened. Yeah, I don't think he posted that. It was an obscene amount of oh, yeah. money he gets paid. It was paid. like 20 Bitcoins and 40% of your tokens or something like that. I mean, I'm just made up that number. <laughs> can you was, imagine something seeing, like that? Can you imagine going to an ICO website and they've got the little pie chart of where their token allocation is and 40% of it's just John McAfee? <laughs> Thing is, you would have made money on it at that time. If yeah. You invested. <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, Anyway, a lot of interesting things going on in the news yeah, as absolutely. of late. So uh, we're sorry to have not been able to report on these the last couple mm -hmm. of weeks. I was on vacation, but we're back. We're going to hit it hard. We're going to get some of these stories cranked out for your, our listeners here. The second story I wanted to bring up is another uh, throwback here. Used to be known as the Magic the Gathering Online Exchange. You guys ever hear of that website? Yeah. Yep. 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 I listen to it. So it's actually uh, better known as Mount Gox. And it turns out that not only are they refunding those who lost their money on the exchange, I think, I believe this happened back in 2014 to be precise, but the courts have ruled that they must return the value in Bitcoin at the time. So that means if you were on Mount Gox uh, in 2014 and you had maybe, I don't know, to say 10 Bitcoin, which back then would have been, you know, not a not a substantial amount of money. No. I believe they're going to pay you now the amount equal value to the Bitcoin in, t in today's value. Oh, so they're going to pay you back your Bitcoin in full as opposed so you, to saying... So you might just get 10 Bitcoin. Oh my God. Jeez. It's like dropping a time twister. Who's paying there, for that? I have no Ross? idea. Insurance companies? I don't know. Sheesh. We need to look further into that. Yeah. The, the real question is what's going to happen to your Doge that you lost? RIP to those well, guys. Well, I'm waiting for an email. So I did have Dogecoin. I actually had a Mt. Gox account in 2013, 2014. I thought, uh, I thought Bitcoin was a bit of a bubble at that point. You know, it was $200. I said, there's no way this is going to go any higher. It's already too ridiculous. And then I decided to... Good call. Great, yeah, exactly. Great call. I decided to flip into something that I really believed in with all my heart. And it was, uh, it was Dogecoin. <laughs> much joy. Yeah, much, much joy much sad actually and then mm. i actually flipped it on mount gox which so it was like a double negative which might turn into a positive i'm waiting for them to send me an email and say hey by the way you had 0.01 bitcoin on your account back in 2014 here you mm. go that'd be that'd be nice that'd be a nice little you know drop in the bucket yeah, for me take your wife out maybe yeah take her out for a nice dinner yeah get her a nice. shiba inu dog oh, oh, i actually told i actually so my girlfriend's moving up here in like a week yeah. And we're getting we're gonna get a dog. And one of the dogs I suggested was a Shiba Inu because we live in an apartment. It's a good apartment dog. And she said the necks were weird. Wait, what makes a Shiba Inu a good apartment dog? What they're does like that mean? smaller. They're not a they're not a big breed. Uh I th I just looked up apartment dogs, it was on the list, so I trust Google. Okay? <laughs> you Googled dogs good for an apartment. Yeah, I did, I did. <laughs> I've heard I've heard Shiba Inus, the they're great dogs. The only complaint a lot of people have is they get fur everywhere. Uh what about their glasses? Do they come with glasses? I don't know. Do they mm. like say do they speak English? <laughs> I don't know. Such uh, wow. They take yeah. a look at Zach's portfolio. Mm, it's up. You would be like it's the ultimate crypto bro if, if you had you a Shiba Inu. <laughs> You're so true. <laughs> like the other day we were running around the hallways, knocking on other offices' doors, trying to find a package that got delivered to our office. Oh my God. And right. we knocked on the one door for this company. It's some mortgage company. Uh -huh. And the guy's like, 
hey, uh, where do you guys work at again? We'll, you know, we'll check to see if you have the package or whatever. And we're like, oh, we work all the way down the hallway there. Uh, last door on the right, it's ICO alert. And he like whipped into shape real quick. And he's like, oh, ICO alert. You guys are crypto bros. You got any hot leads for us? <laughs> of course. We got out of there real quick. Yeah. It's like, can you imagine if Q came off the elevator now with a Shiba Inu? They'd be like, what the hell are these guys doing? That would be epic. Yeah. Unfortunately, she will not let me get it so we'll have to look for another standard breed so she was against that breed yeah she said it had a weird neck i was like what does that what? Have to do? like, fuck cares? a weird neck yeah man anyways it's yeah. pretty crazy objection yeah that mount gox stuff is crazy man i wow we actually were just watching the uh not an hour ago the banking on bitcoin documentary on netflix with like all the interns in the office because we have to educate our interns to the anarchist ways of the office. Right. Um, and Mal Gox was on there. And at first, before I saw that documentary, like two years ago, I didn't know that it stood for Mal uh, Magic the Gathering Online Exchange. I didn't know either. Yeah. It's a Japanese company, or it was based in Japan, or at least. It was an American guy. Yeah, it was yeah. an American guy, but I, I guess. Jed McCaleb. It was Jed McCaleb. Yeah, it was Jed. Yeah. 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 And I just thought, I don't know, Mount Gox, I guess that's just some japanese word maybe yeah yeah there's a mountain, mountain there that's used to keep i don't know got valuable trees on it or mm. something <laughs> yeah i used to play magic the gathering too so really I, yeah yeah that's I why i dropped the time what, what to reference earlier uh i usually played i tried to make rainbow decks or i played uh, white weenie decks the kind that like dump creatures on turn one yeah there it is you guys play are the nerds ever. Play red i was more of a black guy myself oh yeah swamps yeah. Anyways, we'll move on. Yes. Uh, yeah. For for uh, the biggest news of the day, I feel like uh, Twitter. We were part of the hashtag Twitter lockout movement, meaning that for some reason Twitter decided that if you inputted your birthday uh, below the age of thirteen, which as a company we set as the date of our inception which I believe was like sometime last year. I don't remember the exact date that we set, but we got locked out along with a hefty portion of a lot of other accounts and we could not get it back for the longest time. And there were some conspiracy theories thrown out there that they didn't want to give us the, our account back. And there was a lot of things. I think Ryan in the office was the big conspiracy theorist there, but I wanted to see uh, what you guys thought about that. Well, we are at times immature i find it ridiculous that twitter thought that a 10 month old was putting out those tweets mm. genius well hey. yeah the fact that twitter thought that a 10 month old had fifty-two thousand followers <laughs> and multiple financial insights and yeah. yeah and was talking about crypto like cryptology and blockchain and cryptology, cryptology. is that a word Get this man out of here <laughs> cryptology that's an ICO. That's deciphering the mysteries of the metaphysical universe <laughs> I went to see a cryptologist yesterday. A cryptologist. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I gave him a paper with my birth date on it, and he told me which coin to buy. Yeah, That's so now we're now we're back. So that's a great thing. But for about seven days, we were really, really sweating there for a second because we really felt like Twitter was not going to. Um, Bring us back. Comply. Yeah, I, th I think we thought that maybe they were going to use this as an opportunity to completely lock us out for good, which is what Facebook tried to do. Well, yeah, um, all of social media is like hating on crypto, or are they? Apparently, now Facebook is back on on face uh, crypto ads. Yeah, yeah cryptology ads. ads. It means James Altchiller is going to be following me around with the 
afro and glasses. You see that? <laughs> is that the guy that looks like that guy? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Bitcoin genius predicted million dollar Bitcoin <laughs> by 2019. I forgot. That I thought guy. that was. I thought that guy was a young Bill Gates oh, when I first saw those advertisements. Doesn't mm-hmm. he kind of look like Bill Gates? He does. You're right. Yeah, but uh, yeah. I don't know. He's, it's they're rough, man. They follow you around everywhere. Those ads and I try to get you wa- to buy the products. I actually want them to put cryptocurrency ads back on because I don't want to see that guy's face when I'm uh, going on Facebook. I literally hate that guy. Isn't isn't he the cryptocurrency ads? Like those are the yeah, kinds that get back on. He's literally the only cryptocurrency ad I think I've ever seen because I know ICO ICO ads are still banned, um, but cryptocurrency ads are fair game, which is that james altered so what what how does something go from being an ico to a cryptocurrency at what point are you no longer an ico but now you're a cryptocurrency i think it's a sale right your so your token sales over and now you're a cryptocurrency not an ico anymore i'm assuming your network is up and everything and maybe i don't know yeah i mean ico initial coin offering that's like the actual i guess the definition would be this the the sale that is the sale uh portion of your business that's like asking when does an ipo become a company yeah i mean like yeah you know right it's but not like a date when yeah know, now it's a company so guess, as long as you're not IPOs selling tokens always, I, I guess i guess the difference would be ipos are always after and this is like a larger conversation but ipos are always after the company's already been around created a product or what have you whatever right. your service is so that's the difference like icos can be icos before they have a product. So that's where the... Sometimes they're ICOs before they even have a team. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I think that's where the, the that's where the confusion comes in. Because you're like, well, well, I thought this was an ICO. Right. Well, they weren't an actual company or anything before that, like an IPO would. Right, right. So like some of these companies now, like uh, the, that aren't necessarily doing an ICO, but they're still really in their infantile stages. So for example, like... Um, Tron. Tron <laughs> just launched a mainnet. <laughs> but, it, I mean, it's not selling tokens, right? Well, or can Tron you still just purchase? had a major sign that it's growing up. And it, what was that? It, it, it is now being accepted by a place that used to only accept Verge. You know what that is? Pornhub. Mm. <laughs> Pornhub is now accepting Tron. What does that do Mom, for Verge? Listening. What does that do for Verges? What does that do for Verge? Has there uh, was that just announced? Yeah, it was really recent. Verge thought they were a uh, first mover there. They thought yeah. they were they were going to be in there for good. Right. Nope. I think they're accepting Sykes. Zencash too. That, that makes sense because Verge and against Zencash are allegedly at least privacy coins. Mm. But I don't. I didn't think that Tron was a privacy coin. What I. Th- what is Tron? What the hell are they trying to do? Tron is whatever you want it to be. It's decentralized <laughs> internet. <laughs> yeah, decentralized internet coming out of what country again? <laughs> oh, China, where they're all about freedom of the press and having a free internet for you to do whatever you want on. Yeah, uh, not to, I'm not going to shit on any of my bags, so... Uh, <laughs> Tron's great. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, hey, I hold Tron too, but it's just for the meme power. Yeah, it really is. Because I can't really talk too much about it unless I own it. So. Yeah. I remember in, in like, I always go back to this these times because I love it and we're in a bear market and it's just so sad right now. Uh, but I remember me and Gall were like buying into Tron hardcore. We bought into it at like four cents, went to 32 cents, but we were like, you know what? Like this is going to go on forever. We're riding just like this wave. Yeah. Just like everything at that time. Uh, whereas now if it went up two X, like, well, shit, now I just want my, 
my initial investment back. So I probably would sell if it ever got back to nine cents. So, you know, whatever. <laughs> well, in the, the, the founder, his name's uh, Justin Sun. Mm-hmm. He actually apparently went to a university that uh, Jack Ma, who's the, so Jack Ma is the founder of uh, Alibaba. Which, really? yeah. Jack Ma is the founder of Alibaba. And what Alibaba was, what it started as was, um, I believe it was a company called Taobao in China, which was a way for, so there's all these factories in China. And they're manufacturing all this shit that usually the U.S. just imports and you have to kind of import it in bulk. But the Chinese, they needed a market to access direct, like, purchasing from those factories. So you've got all these factories, but they don't really have a way to, like, distribute their products to buyers, especially online, mm-hmm. other than just walking through the streets and buying in the markets. So Taobao, which was developed by Jack Ma, it's actually a, a, an online platform for the Chinese citizens to buy online from the, um, from the factories direct. Hmm. So when I when I was in China uh, this it, time this time it, last year, go is ahead. Is it like Amazon? It's like Amazon, except it's all direct from the factory. Yeah. So when I was in China this time last year, it was funny because me and my dad, we'd be walking around the markets, and we'd go into a store, and some guy would try to sell us a T-shirt or something, and he would tell us the price of a T-shirt. I'd do the conversion. I'd be like, oh, Dad, he wants to sell us this T-shirt for twelve bucks. You know, me and my dad are like, screw it. You know, we're on vacation, 12 bucks for a t-shirt. That's a pretty good deal. You know, we're in China. It's all about the novelty anyway. Well, finally, Jenny would come around with my wife and she would hear us like about to pay $12 for this thing and start freaking out and yelling at the vendor and yelling, Taobao, Taobao, Taobao. And like turn to me and she'd be like, you're an idiot. We can get that on Taobao for like 37 cents. It's direct from the factory. And then all her bargaining was based on what the price was on Taobao. So she would literally look it up on her phone right in front of the vendor and be like, I'm going to get exactly this for 37 cents or whatever the conversion was into, you know, RMB, which is the Chinese currency. And then that's where the negotiations would start. So they were ready to rip us off. But anyway, to get back to Justin's son, Jack Ma goes on to found Alibaba, which is this huge conglomerate company that now sells bulk to the U.S. So if you're a U.S. person, you want to sell a product. Say you want to sell, I don't know, like uh these growlers. So you want to sell a growler that holds beer, a glass container that holds beer for our listeners since they can't see the growler that we're drinking from right now. (laughs) If you want to sell those and you want to have them mass produced, you can actually go into Alibaba. It's a direct channel into those factories that would produce materials like that. Then you can actually bulk purchase them. So I could buy a thousand of those at, you know, 90 cents a unit. Mm. As long as I meet the minimum threshold of the amount of units that I'm going to buy, and then Alibaba will help kind of facilitate that deal. So Jack Ma, I think they IPO'd Alibaba like three years ago. Is and it was a young guy? It was before that. Well, maybe not. Yeah. Yeah, it young? was about two. It, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't very long ago, but... Um, I remember trying to get in on that. And the only way I could figure out how to do it was to have a little bit of a Yahoo stock because Yahoo was getting in on it. Okay. That, did, that didn't end up working out. No. No. So nothing with, get in nothing on. with Yahoo ends up working out ever. That's why you need ICOs. Yes. Trying to get into an IPO and you didn't know what the hell you right. what the hell but, was left from right. But anyway, Jack Ma. Yeah, so Jack Ma, uh, he's not a younger guy. He's older. Oh, he's okay. much older. Um, but he went to school with Justin. No, son? so he started a university that was like this special university oh, for young entrepreneurs. Gotcha. And there was only 25 or 30 graduating people in the class. Mm. And 
apparently the founder of Tron, Justin Sun, was in that graduating class. Now, I saw this when I first heard about Tron. I was like, that could be a load of horseshit. I have no idea if that's true or not. So I asked Jenny, I was like, did Jack Ma have this university where he, you know, did such and such? Because Justin Sun actually does have pictures of him with Jack Ma. And I mean, Jack Ma, he's pretty much like the Warren Buffett of China. Interesting. And so um, for him to be in pictures with him, you know, anybody could kind of take a photo op and just say that they know him. But Justin Sun, this founder of Tron, was claiming that he actually went to his university and was kind of in his network. So I asked Jenny, I said, you know, was this university legit? She said, yeah, I've heard of that. You know, I never heard of Justin Sun or Tron, but I've heard of the university and this all kind of looks legit. The diploma that he held up and shit all kind of checked out with her Mandarin, uh, you know, Intel. I, w- I always thought Alibaba was from the Middle East. Am I incorrect there? It sounds like it's from the Middle East, but it's a Chinese company. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, the more you know. Yeah, so uh, not to show Tron the entire episode, but <laughs> another big thing that they've done recently that kind of flew under the radar is they Justin Sun purchased BitTorrent for $118 million cash. So... I don't know. I, I mean, it just doesn't. I, I can't really connect the dots with what they're doing with Pornhub and BitTorrent and everything else. I mean, mm. you talk to Tron fans; they say Tron is just going to conquer the world in every way. Yeah, you know, there's I, not much basis. For I that. haven't connected the lines yet either. Maybe there's translation issues going on. A lot of materials are in Chinese. Maybe I don't read Chinese, sadly. Well, and they all kind of started with a big. Uh, scandal with the whole mm-hmm. ripping off what was it ethereum's white paper uh it was a, a several white papers i think there's ipfs in there and like okay yeah a lot of people claim that they had ripped off their white paper or plagiarized it right. or whatever i'd be interested to look at the original like chinese white paper mm-hmm. if that is a thing because it could really just be that. and you're the director of globalization so maybe right. you can speak more to this it could have just been the translators that maybe when they went to translate tron's white paper there wasn't much other information out there on this kind of technology, the blockchain, the new internet protocols, where they thought, well, let me just look at something similar so I can use similar language and just change it up a bit. Right. They did change it up significantly. Like uh, plagiarism detection tools wouldn't pick up the, the thing. You know, they clearly rewrote it, but it's the same points. Yeah. But I could see, you know, I could see translators doing that. Not not to diss all the translators out there. Most translators would never do such a thing. Um, but, you know, if they were trying to cut corners, they were pressed for a deadline. They got like 15 pages of highly technical language. They're like, we need something. Let's just rewrite this IPFS because that's the same thing, distributed file storage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and let's just rewrite it that and use that. I can see that happening. And as far as I know, they fixed it since. Don't quote me on that. But uh that's an interesting theory we just came up with right now on the spot. I'm bullish Tron. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Please. Well, so what's the point of them buying BitTorrent, though? I mean, I think, what is BitTorrent? It's a, it's like file, P2P yeah, file sharing type P2P stuff? file sharing, which the point that I was going to make was, I like, just randomly watching a documentary a little while ago. I think it was Vice's documentary with Vitalik. It was like a 45-minute thing. I, I never watched the actual whole documentary. I just saw like a 12-minute like segment. But he brought it back. He brought back decentralization to file sharing uh, music. And it really clicked with me that w- some of our first interactions with decentralization was on uh, LimeWire. Mm-hmm. LimeWire and And Napster. I didn't even know it. Like, you didn't even know it. Like, that's decentralized peer-to-peer 
like file sharing and I didn't even put it together till then. I was using LimeWire and not having an appreciation for like a decentralization of music at that time. I didn't have to go to Apple. I didn't have to go to all these other uh like maybe well, even apple mortar. wasn't really around back then it was yeah. more like cds yeah it would be like brick right. and mortar stores yeah uh, that you would have to go to uh but that was decentralized music and i i didn't really put that together and i i was sitting there watching documentary like oh my god like limewire was the first thing that i've like ever been in contact with that was decentralized in a certain aspect i mean right. obviously limewire itself but yeah well i mean the only thing not the only thing Bitcoin brought to the table, but the, the major thing Bitcoin brought to the table is you couldn't double spend. Yeah, like in LimeWire, yeah. you could take a file and you could send it to nine other people and they all have the file. And you still you know, have So it. the problem was, how do you have a coin and and you know not be able to do the same thing? Right. You send copies to nine people and exactly. you still have the coin. Yeah. I don't mm-hmm. think most people know that, to be honest. I don't think most that's people cr- know that that's, at least people our age, because everyone our age, like you hear about LimeWire, you're like... You know exactly what it is. That's like how you got your music back in the day. But LimeWire or Napster. Yeah, Napster. Napster is a good example too. But uh, most people don't know that like, that's a great example of Bitcoin, but just in in like a music sense because you, you people could send it without any other service like charging you or what mm-hmm. have you, uh, without any fee or something like that. Right. It's really hard to shut down. Yeah, it is. Because yeah. who, do you, who do you go after? You got to go after like thousands of downloaders mm-hmm. and uploaders. Well, and it's the Pirate Bay is pretty much the same thing now with all files, all video files, movie files, things like that. Not that I would ever frequent a website like that, <laughs> but doesn't, and Pete, maybe you can speak to this because you're a little more technical than I am, but doesn't it work like um, when you go to download a file using these BitTorrent uh, or any sort of you like you torrent or transmission. Not that I know anything about any of these things that I'm listing, but when you go to download them, uh, doesn't it kind of like aggregate the data from all of the people that own the file that are currently sort of hosting it? Isn't that how it works? Right. The reason it's so quick, even though people have terrible upload speeds on you know your average internet connection, is because it gets pieces of it from everywhere and then it checks the hashes which we're familiar with hashes as a concept so that if you download a bad piece it, it knows and it you know it's rejected um so hashing and all that stuff was around much earlier yeah, hashing, than Bitcoin. hashing is an old old function yeah hmm. it's a one-way cryptography where you can you know produce a hash but you can't get the contents of the original message from the hash one example is if if you've ever tried to unzip a rar file or a zip file and it's thrown an error at you, like cyclic redundancy check or, or checksum doesn't match, something like that. What it's doing is unzipping the file and then it's checking the hash against the hash stored in zip. And it's saying this doesn't match, so there's clearly corruption in the file. You know, so that's a very common use of hashing is if anything in the file changes, it's corrupt, there's a virus, there's whatever. The hash, you know, if you download something that you want to install on your computer, like, uh, you know, a program or an operating system, then it's good to get the hash so that you can check the download afterwards. The hash is a one-way function. For our listeners who aren't aware of what a hash is, a hash (laughs) takes any amount of data. It can be like two letters. It can be like two terabytes. You know, it can be a huge amount or a little amount. And it turns it into a like fixed 256-bit, usually like string of ones and zeros. And if you change a single thing, you could take Moby Dick, the book, and change a comma to a period somewhere, and the resulting hash will look completely different. Mm. But it's not predictable, and it, and it looks random. 
you know, and that's a way to verify that something is still in its original state. And so, yeah, hashing has been used for a long time in Bitcoin. It's, you know, it's also used for similar things. If a block changes, if you know, like I, I add a transaction in somewhere, I'm like, I, uh, Evan sent me a hundred Bitcoin back in or a hundred Dogecoin back in, you know, uh, <laughs> back in my heyday, back in 2000, yeah, whatever. Um, and I just try to slip that in there. It changes the hash and it changes the hash of the entire blockchain. So if you change one minor thing, the hash will look completely different. Right. Yeah. Hmm. I had no idea. Yeah. I'll show you this cool interactive thing. Or maybe I'll put it in the show notes Yeah. Uh, where you can like test this out and you'll type Evan and it'll show you the hash and it's always going to be the same. But if you change the A to like a zero, it's completely different. I had no idea. No, no I had no idea either. So, so anyway, speaking about uh, Justin Sun and China and Tron and Alibaba and all that shit, did you guys see that uh, news out of Coindesk actually today? China is actually looking into launching a crypto yuan, which is the Chinese currency RMB. Um, and you know, this is this, and this kind of goes back to the whole Tron thing with me as well. Is it's so hard to read China in their acceptance of these decentralized currencies and decentralized platforms. And how is Tron going to be successful in a country that is known for the Great Wall of China and the Great Firewall of China? This country's not been very accepting of these kinds of things, of people being able to go onto the internet and say whatever they want about whoever they want. Uh, and it's just going to be interesting to see how one a company like tron's going to build the decentralized internet in a com in a country where the normal internet's barely even able yeah. to operate and I mean, then two they're they're going to launch this crypto yuan yeah in theory that's the best place to do the decentralized internet is in a place where the internet isn't really uh or ha the centralized government is is restricts access to certain websites and stuff like that. But yeah, I don't, I don't trust anything that's going on out there uh, as far as the government backed cryptocurrencies or a government backed, uh, not even like a currency, but like government backed cryptocurrency companies. So uh, I don't, I don't know exactly the details on that cryptocurrency one, but that's, that's not a thing that's ever going to be, uh, I don't think good, for the, the it's not going to be good for the individual because then you'll be able to track that even more so than you have now with your with your regular cash with your regular whatever transactions you're making through a bank account blah 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 with the cryptocurrency you're going to be able to track that even further i right. feel like and it's going to be a way to to keep tabs on normal citizens yeah ryan brooke and i were at world blockchain forum uh, about a week and a half ago nick spanos gave a talk and uh, he said, if we don't free ourselves with blockchain in time, they'll enslave us with blockchain or they'll imprison us with blockchain. Exactly. Mm. And, uh, you know, that the like these technologies, this kind of immutable, permanent ledger of everything you've done, be it in finance exactly. or social media or whatever, that's mm -hmm. the dream of a totalitarian state. Yep. And we could wield it, you know, we could turn it into something that really encourages freedom or it could be turned into something that really encourages oppression. Mm -hmm. That's a really interesting take on it. That that's why anonymous coins are so like talked about. That's why things like Monero are so uh, like take up such a large amount of the news in cryptocurrency because that's what it originally first in some sense it was made for that anonymity aspect. Yeah. Because then if it's not anonymous, 
I mean, you'll be able to be tracked just like Pete said. You'll be able to be tracked even more freely by the government. Well, and one of the things that I, I looked into the story a little bit, it seems that there, uh, the People's Bank of China is filing patents for this crypto RMB, which is, again, the uh, denomination for the currency in China. What they said was it might actually act with the current yuan. So obviously, they're not going to just transfer everything into this cryptocurrency. I mean, it, China is still very much a huge cash society, which in a way kind of gives the citizens a lot of freedom uh, because, you know, cash transactions aren't can't be traced. But it's interesting to see how because China and I mean, you heard Donald Trump talk about this even a lot during his campaign. China was devaluing their currency a lot against the US dollar against other foreign currencies so that they could export more and it actually in turn would cause them to import less which you know regardless of where you stand on you know trades and tariffs and all that shit if they move into a crypto currency as part of their you know national currency they're not going to be able to devalue it anymore right well i don't know it doesn't mean that they can't control the monetary supply the monetary policy of the currency yeah it might come up with a cryptocurrency like where they could issue more you know you could even build cryptocurrencies now on what we've got you know the systems we have now i, I don't like I think you can do just this on ethereum i'm not sure i think you can set in your ethereum contract when you create a token you can set like a thing that lets you issue more tokens later obviously most coins don't do this because it's immediately suspicious to a lot of the crypto community but they could make it so that they can control this this one you know just just like the fed controls the dollar just like china controls the traditional one right it's just a way to to move from a traditional cash like it's just a way to move from a traditional cash society i feel like it would just be a digital currency at that point yeah like it would literally just be it would represent like one digital one would be one one i just right yeah i don't well i think governments are going to try to take this terminology that sounds revolutionary like blockchain and cryptocurrency mm -hmm. and decentralized and gain the favor of the people with it you know uh, one example in Moscow, there's a system now for renaming streets. Let's say, like, you have a street, and, you know, you live on it, and you want to rename it. They tout it as blockchain-based. Like, oh, everybody can get in on this, you know, register and rename the street. Uh, but it's, it's not like that at all. You know, it's proof of authority-based. It's completely, like, they say it's on the blockchain. But when you look into it, there's nothing decentralized about it. It's still just government control. You know, and that, that might not be the best example. It's the one that came to mind. But they're going to take words like blockchain and crypto and throw them into projects just to make people feel good about what the government's doing. I yeah. think that might yeah. be part of what's going on here. I think as far as crypto goes, in, in, unless it's a currency, like Bitcoin, for example, unless it's like just a true currency, we haven't figured out the decentralization part. We haven't. Like EOS shows us that with the block producers. I mean, it just... And, and the way that their governance models is... is is done like we haven't figured out that how the decentralization works other right. than just the currency aspect like bitcoin has yeah that's interesting it, it's just super intriguing to me especially having sort of a background in chinese culture and the way the government operates there it's just mm -hmm. it's very interesting to see their friendly adoption to something that in many in many circumstances it, it represents decentralization 
in a country that's completely surround like it's you know it's the the pinnacle of of centralization is yeah, the China. the people's you know republic of china or whatever the whatever their political yeah. party's called so uh it's it's interesting to see and it much in the same way it, it does kind of make me feel like well it, could this you know like was it nick spanos you were talking about you know could could this thing be used kind of against people it's an interesting take it's kind of chilling honestly definitely when are we headed there <laughs> oh well uh maybe for chinese new year next february we're gonna I think I believe February fifth is the actual Chinese New Year celebration. So can't wait. It's a great time, man. They treat you like a celebrity over there. Yeah, and the crypto markets always go up after Chinese New Year. That's remember? true. Remember, <laughs> always. Still waiting. They're still every buying year presents. without fail. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's an extended New Year this year. I forgot. Right. They they actually skipped it this year. <laughs> we'll wait till next year. We're gonna take a quick break for a show disclaimer. Yo, Q. What's up, F? What is the ICO Alert Roundtable? The roundtable is a casual discussion about current events and coins that we're passionate about. What isn't the ICO Alert roundtable? The ICO Alert roundtable isn't tax, legal, financial, professional, or any other kind of advice. For sake of transparency, members of this week's episode own the following coins. Bitcoin, Ethereum, EOS, and Tron. Without further ado, let's get back into the roundtable. Speaking of uh, the markets going up and down... On our last YouTube video, somebody commented. Uh, it was from the parking chair. Not really uh, sure where, where, what that name originates from, but uh, it says, my crypto portfolio is trashed. When will the next bull market come back? And I leave this question to you two. Pete, when's the market coming back? It's not coming back. Exit to fiat now. A <laughs> 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 <Now> run. <laughs> Get run out. <laughs> Red candles forever. Uh, yeah, that's Sounds what it like feels like. That honestly is what it feels like. Red fields forever. Yeah, it's been going down. Oh, oh I actually just uh, wrote an article on the 14 emotional stages of crypto trading. No which, way. Yeah, it actually translates over from um, from stock market trading, which it typically the stock market goes in cycles as long as you're not dealing in the shitcoin version of you know penny stocks. But through Bitcoin's young trading life, it has also gone in cycles, as most people that are listening should realize. So it's it was just funny to kind of highlight the 14 emotional stages that you go through, where there's four, where it's the first one's uh, optimism, and then joy, and then thrill, and then euphoria, where you're just like telling your boss to f go fuck himself because you're going to 10x tomorrow, and it doesn't matter. And then there's like 12 that are just negative, like until you're just throwing up and, you know, yeah. depression and um but it's interesting to highlight these things because the market it, if it does follow after the traditional stock market it does go in cycles mm -hmm. and you you get you have higher lows and you have higher highs so really just to be emotional especially in a time like this it's not worth it even to be emotional at all it's it's stupid but you do kind of hope that we're reaching the part of like capitulation and depression and you right. don't want to let it happen to you and, and I try not to let it happen to myself. I mean, everyone here has portfolios. We all, you know, deal in the markets and play and stuff. But you, it, once it does get to that point where there's no hope, there's no sellers left at that point, you know? So it, that's, that's the best time to buy. When there's absolutely no hope, nobody gives a shit anymore. That's when there's no one left to sell. Yeah. You can only go up from there. Yeah, I think that's the, that's the thing people need to realize. It's, it's, it's not going to bump back up when everyone's in despair. 
it's when everyone's apathetic. I think we've had that talk on this podcast before, but yeah, it's totally apathy is when you start to see the market kind of creep back up and then you, mm-hmm. hopefully you have the uh the eventual uh or the eventual, you know, raise. And I mean to be the silver lining guy. Uh remember back 2013 we had a crash that kind of lasted to 2015, like through a couple of years. And this might be a couple of years. It might be, you know, a couple of weeks. God. It might be a couple of days. It might be a couple of years. Oh, but that's okay. As long as you're not like riding your entire life's financial hopes on it, you know, spiking in the next year or two. <laughs> okay. You, you know, that last part. Because yeah, my whole financial. Yeah, no, no, I understand. Yeah. <laughs> but, but like if it's down for a couple of years, let's say it sits down here at around 6K, all right? Or it goes down to fourth 3K or whatever and sits down there for a while. That's a chance to accumulate. This is not financial advice, you know, but <laughs> it, it, it gives everyone like a breather where they can start accumulating a little bit mm. over time mm. without, you know, this urgency like, oh, we're ramping up, buy more now. Yeah. You buy in the, during the accumulation phase, uh, and then you'll be in a much stronger position when the market does decide to turn around. Yeah, Dima's friend came in from out of town uh, over, the, over the weekend, and we went out to... What? You pointing somewhere? No. What's yeah, I mean, on? I was, but... Don't get at? distracted. Okay, yeah. Oh, now I'm distracted. <laughs> He's pointing down there at your your uh, portfolio numbers. Ah, uh, yeah, that's true. That's where they're at. They are way they're down way there. below that, dude. <laughs> there's the cement right there, and then there's hundred layers of dog shit. Take the <laughs> elevator down to the basement, <laughs> yeah. and then dog take the shit. stairs down to the sub basement. Exactly. And then dig a hole. There's your portfolio. There, there's my oh, there you are. <laughs> but no, uh, Dima's friend was in from out of town. We went out and uh, kind of went downtown Pittsburgh and did, looked at this, or did the whole steakhouse and like go out to the bars. But anyways, when we were having a discussion at the steakhouse, he was saying, and he had a really bearish take on the crypto market right now. And he was basically saying exactly what you're saying, which is accumulate. But he wasn't talking about us. He wasn't talking about the retail investor. He was saying that the, the, the market is what it is right now because institutional investors have started to realize that this is actually a real thing, first of all. And second, holy shit, we can accumulate or we can accumulate more if we hold down the price mm-hmm. to where it is right now. Right. So he feels like the, the, the bull market is not going to come back until the institutional investors are fully placed uh, into the market. Well, you know what that means is that... Part of why the institutions, the big money, does what they do is to shake people out of the market. Mm-hmm. You know, we might see it go up a little bit, people's hopes get up, and then it crashes again. And that that's really going to shake a lot of people out, you know, but if they it know starts this. riding and then it crashes. Yeah. No, I know, I'm saying yeah. they're going to try to shake people out. Mm-hmm. And the key as, you know, again, not financial advice, it could all go to zero. <laughs> um, the key is is not to get shaken out because they're trying to accumulate over time and you can accumulate too. Can I just can I say one thing? Sure. There, there's some guys behind us that are on the big screen playing Super Smash Brothers, and there's two guys. It's an eight-person game. They're playing Super Smash on the Wii U, and they're playing CPUs, and they're out. Literally on lives, they're out. They're watching computers play with Smash Brothers, and they're already out. <laughs> They just had to watch computers oh, yeah, yeah. finish the game. Yeah, I see. I see. You're watching these bots do these auto trading and you're getting yeah. out of them. It's like, <laughs> that is. It, it relates. It's like being on Huobi. It is. Yeah, it is. relates. It's like watching the bots do the auto trading. Yeah, I, I agree with you guys. I think, honestly, and again, nothing here is investment advice. I'm tired of even putting that fucking disclaimer in the middle of the podcast. But 
I think honestly, the the market has a lot of room to go down at this point. Still, I think that we have not reached the point of capitulation. And even if it trades sideways for a while, I think some people will get shaken out. Um, well, just go look at the charts for 2014 and 15. And it traded sideways, but it was a downward sideways right. for years. Right. A slow bleed would almost be ju- just as devastating as kind of like a pump and dump or whatever the hell you want to call it, where it has upward price action, people get excited again, and then it goes down. I mean, a slow bleed out, which it seems like since what, since the all-time highs in February, January, yeah. yeah, January, February, it was kind of a, it was is dump, slow bleed sideways, go up, dump, slow bleed sideways go up and it's, if it follows that pattern for a while there's not gonna be a lot of uh retail people left in the market but our long-term prospects are much better than back in 2013-14 right we've got yeah. huge teams of incredibly mm-hmm. skilled people with a lot of capital that they've converted to fiat or whatever and you know part of it anyway um that's funding their businesses for years to come and they are intent on building these projects these are people who drove taxis or whatever when bitcoin was really low to pay the bills so that they could build their favorite decentralized projects now they have the money to build their decentralized projects they're gonna push forward on it and and i'm bullish just like you because the institutional support is there too nasdaq just launched their exchange uh 500 users whatever it was like dude there's no way like well, the I'm institutional not, support is there, and it wasn't there in the previous crashes, yeah. in the previous mm-hmm. bear market. Well, so and I'm not a perma bear. I'm just I'm saying the market could go lower in the short term. Now, whether short term is three months, six months, a year, I would hope it's not a year. That would be pretty terrible. Yeah. But I think one thing that's good in my bullish long term case is even if we do see red or slow bleed or whatever it is, that's going to shake out a lot of the speculators, and now you're going to be left with projects that are legit projects mm-hmm. that have users you're going to be left with good dApps that are still that you know if if you're a project that has if you build a protocol and you have a dap with a hundred thousand users that are transacting and everything's working out the speculators don't even need to be there because the people who believe in the fundamentals of the company are going to be around investing so if we go red for the next three months and it shakes out all the speculators it goes back to what i said there's no one left to sell because all these idiots who just get in it to get rich quick are gone mm. but now the real fundamentals are at play and now you can actually take a look at these projects and get a, a clear view of what's going on with the prices your argument can be made to listing sites as well everything you just said could be applied to listing sites how so Everything that you just said about the quality of project, everything you just said about the way that non-quality projects are going to have to exit uh, over a long period of time, the slow bleed, you'll see it in, in listing sites. These listing sites that aren't legit, that do not have, that, that literally showed up for three months and made a million dollars, $2 million, whatever the hell they made, like they're not making that now, 100% guaranteed. So you'll right. see a capitulation there. Uh, with the listing sites as well and only the only the best are going to survive so that's it, it's crazy but i i totally agree with you as it comes to the quality of project well and just another note i'd like to add to maybe something like to add for our listeners and if you've listened this far into the podcast obviously you're pretty dedicated to this but if you're thinking about having that capitulation or that apathy where you're like you know screw this i'm not going to listen to this i'm not going to even pay attention to the markets anymore as soon as you start to feel like that, that's a sign that it's actually turning into an opportunity. 
And a lot of people are starting to feel like that, especially the people that rushed into the market earlier in the year. Mm -hmm. But still, weak hands are getting shaken out one way or another. And the more and more that you start to feel like that, it's actually it's actually kind of a rare moment where opportunity to buy at a lower price, you know, buy low, sell high. That's, mm -hmm. that's the strategy. Keep it simple, stupid, you know? So, uh, you know, I would, I would say stick with it if you're starting to feel, you know, obviously you don't have to listen to just this podcast, but you know, if you're, if you're starting to feel that apathy, that might be a good sign that actually there's, there's some fire sales going on. Uh, the, the, what is it? The night is darkest before the dawn, before the dawn. Who yeah. said it, Pete? Uh, uh, Harvey Dent. <laughs> Harvey from, Dent. Um, the Dark Knight. <laughs> uh, Aaron Eckert, whatever. Oh, um, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, another thing is that crypto is still very much a community. And I, I don't know about grassroots as much as it used to be, but it still is. It still is kind of grassroots. You know, the institutions are trying to get in. The big, big people are trying to move from finance into crypto. But... People can have a real effect on the feeling that the world has about crypto. You can talk to your friends, and I don't mean go like shill every coin you want to shill, but people can talk to the people they know about crypto. That's how I got into crypto, people talking to me about it. That's probably how you guys got in, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody talked to you about it. And uh, you can go and just have a... I got in through Silk Road. Silk Road. <laughs> you drugster. <laughs> you terrorist. You can spread like calm and, and reasonable thinking among like your circles and that will have an effect. You know, we can help turn this around, I guess. It's not like an entirely an invisible hand, but you know, the, uh, the media will keep putting out any article that's negative on Bitcoin, any article that makes it sound like, you know, no, 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 Bitcoin has crashed. You know, every, every single article you read about anything crypto that's in something other than like Cointelegraph or, you know, CN if it's on CNN, CNBC, anything like that, there will be a sentence in there guaranteed where it'll be like Bitcoin, which has had a historic drop from 20000 to $6,000 over the past few months. You know, I guarantee you that sentence is yeah, in there. And like they ignore that. Like, I mean, you could frame it this way. You could be like Bitcoin, which has had a historic rise from $1 to $6,000 in the past few years. You know, like it's all perspective. Yeah. Um, they're just going to keep hitting that. And one of the ways to combat that is to, you know, to help calm reasonable thinking prevail among the people you know right crypto i agree it, but it's going to be interesting to see as institutional players start getting in with more money how's that going to affect the markets because right now maybe through the last few cycles of up and downs that we've seen with bitcoin and with the crypto markets and the alt overall it's been driven by the retail investors or sort of like the you know the tech people but once these whales get in or these market makers get in, how's that going to affect the price? Is it going to be retail versus market makers or, you know, what's what's going to happen there? Do you guys have any thoughts or predictions on that? Bounce. Uh, to me, <laughs> um, you know, I, I'm more interested in how it affects ICOs. Hmm. Uh, I'm more interested in how they see ICOs as an investment. Uh, and where they're getting that information from and which ICOs they're investing in. Because right now, I just feel like they don't have the information to do that. Uh, as far as Bitcoin goes, I think we can see that people are trying to, or these big institutions are trying to position themselves. And I agree with that guy, Dima's friend, that the reason the price is where it is and it's staying where it is is because these big institutional investors want to make their way in. So until we see them fully uh, gain a position, 
it's going to stay where it is. And I feel that way uh, as far as Bitcoin goes. But these altcoins, I mean, they're always going to follow the boat there. Hmm. They're, it's going to rise and fall with the tide. Um, so as far as ICOs go, do you see us shifting from like the buy an ICO and hope to profit one month later model of 2017 to a longer model where you, you buy a project you believe in now and it's a solid investment for like a few years time out? Like kind of more like traditional company investing a little bit? Yeah, it's it's tough to make an actual prediction there, but I think that I know for a fact, maybe I don't know for a fact, but I <laughs> my prediction is, yes, it's going to start, start to skew a certain way. Whereas at the beginning of, of ICOs, it was more a more of a percentage of projects basically were what you're talking about. Whereas we just want to make a quick buck mm-hmm. as far as the retail investor. It's going to start skewing more towards the retail investor. It's, it's almost a... It's almost a, hmm, what's the, what am I trying to get out of here? It's basically going to, IPOs are all going to turn into uh, a, a tokenized form anyways. Yeah, well, um, Nick Spanos holds that the IPO is already dead. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's going to be, a, it's all going to be tokenized. But to answer your question in a very short amount of time, I think as, as we go throughout this year, we'll see, yes, more projects will be quality, more people will be getting in and not be hesitant to get in on the projects that they think are going to be like a quick pump and dump or something like that. Hmm. Yeah. I'm wondering if IPOs really do turn into like tokenized uh, public offerings. You think they will, but what, because it seems like the ICOs that we see now almost all have to have blockchain integrated into their platform somehow. But if I'm going to do an IPO for like, what's the, what were like some of the big recent IPOs, like Snapchat centralized or like a Shake Shack? Is that a, is that a company? Shake Shack? Ryan, is that a company? Facebook. Shake Shack? Uh, what's that? What's that Chinese uh, the laptop maker? Xiaomi? Xiaomi. Oh, Xiaomi. That's a, yeah. Yeah. So like if, if you're, even if you're non-technical, so you're, uh, you know, a restaurant or something that's going to do an IPO, what's do you have to have blockchain involved now? Is it, or is it just anybody, but now we're going to, we're going to focus the fundraising specifically on blockchain. Yeah. The regulation will change. It's basically STOs. Okay. That's basically what it's going to be. And what are, what are STOs then? Can you explain that for our listeners who maybe aren't familiar? Yeah. I mean, security token offerings are the bane of my existence. Um, <laughs> that basically ICOs were created so that people like us could get involved in venture capital. Uh, they could get involved in helping projects, you know, start their company at an early stage without any uh, without any barriers to entry. Whereas STOs are security token offerings, and they're basically um, like l- the little brother of an IPO. Uh, you can get in if you're an accredited investor. Uh, I think Pete knows the exact. Do you know the exact? Well, yeah. Let me specifications. Correct you on that. What you said is true generally, but like. Anyone can buy a security in the United States, as long as it's a registered security. Mm -hmm. The thing is, registering is a lot of work and a lot of money, you know, to put on an IPO or something is a lot of work. But you have to be... So people take exceptions like Regulation D, for example, which means you don't have to disclose as much, but only accredited investors can buy your security. That's what I mean. Or Regulation CF, which means you don't have to disclose as much, but you can only raise a million dollars or so so no one's gonna do yeah, that so well no they are there are reg cf offerings right now but if you're any legitimate project if you're if you're regulating if you're 
putting yourself in a box to only raising a million dollars based on non-accredited people, then that's the not thing a is, lot of money. You can do both raises. You can do both you raises. Know. My point is like the accredited and like if you want to invest in these STOs, mm-hmm. you have to. Uh, I mean, most of them are doing Reg D, so most of them are limiting their raises to accredited investors right now, which is something we hope to see change. Mm. With Reg A plus, Reg A plus is a thing that very few companies have taken advantage of because the it's still hard to get. But that also opens it up to non-accredited investors, um, and hopefully this ICO, this democratization, this little people movement, will see reform in security laws in general. Well, that's the thing that you want to see, right? Yeah. Is the accreditation laws for security token offerings being put at a at a lower level? Because right now, if you want to invest in an STO, and please do it, say if I'm wrong here, right. if I'm trying to invest in an STO at this point, and I'm in the US, and I need to be accredited, that's $200,000 that you have to be making per year, oh, or you what? have, or you need a bank account of what, $2 million? I think yeah, it's a million, $1 million, a million dollars in, in, assets. in assets, but not including your primary home. Okay. Right. Which pretty much eliminates a shit ton of people. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And of course, the people who made a lot of the people who made a lot of money in cryptocurrency don't want to tell disclose anyone, all tell that. anyone that they have a million dollars of assets in their crypto because they might get held for ransom or whatever. You know? Well, and how do you prove that? Like, if I'm going to go sign up for an STO and I and I have the qualifications, how do I prove to the STO that I have that money? Do I have to fucking send them a scan of my bank it's a account? Letter from, it's, a, it's letter it's a from KYC. Account. Yeah, it's a it's like a yeah. I think it, like. The people do a K. There's companies well, they that do, do KYC, KYC, but that doesn't tell them that you're accredited. It's, a, it's usually a letter from your accountant. So yeah. whoever did my taxes for the past couple of years, they tell them they disclose, "Hey, this guy's got enough money through the funds that he had, either in his assets or through his income." This is a really strange as it sounds. This is actually a really unregulated process. It seems kind of fly by night. Yeah, you get a letter from a guy. Yeah, that's kind of ridiculous. Says, yeah, yeah, I have reason to believe that, you know, like, yeah, basically that's it. Yeah, yeah, so what I, if you're I borderline? Use, like, what if you're right on the borderline? Your, your accountant's done your taxes and he's like, well, you know, you made this much money on a 1099, but we're going to take the taxes out of that. And, you know, we're going to file for the office, the home office, and then we're going to, you know, claim your cell phone bill. And then you had some income from your regular job. And then you worked, you made some tips. Like, could an accountant just you, be like, oh, you made an extra $2,000 in tips? If you're close. If you're close. You get him a Christmas gift this year. It and then who come down to that? And then who's liable if the accountant says that you're a accredited investor and then all of a sudden the SEC does an investigation and they find out you only made $999,000 or whatever? Yeah, I don't. I don't yeah, until it's, we know. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I'm kind of just going by the seat of my pants here too. I don't, I don't know anything, but it seems like for how much they're trying to regulate this shit, it's still the fucking wild, wild west. Yeah. I mean, I use KYC very generally there. I didn't mean like the company, the, like the company that's running the SDO as a KYC. I meant like somebody that you, there's someone you have to talk to, whether it's an accountant or someone has to like approve that you're an accredited investor and they're, they're a well-known, uh, like, I don't know, auditor what the hell? I don't even know. what yeah, they, do. exactly. they, don't, they don't even have it's to be well-known <laughs> apparently. Right. They I, could just be an it accountant. It sounds like we need more money so that we can actually understand this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's interesting to know how you actually prove that you're an accredited investor because I have a pretty good relationship with my accountant. So who's to say if I was, mm-hmm. 
10 grand away and I was like, damn it, I really need to get into this ICO, have him, you know, fudge the numbers a little bit, or at least not That's even fudge thing. the numbers, but look for that extra kind of yeah. like, oh, well, we can claim this or we can, you know, there's got to be some kind of things they can As do. another thing, I've been advised by people who are, who are in this space that it is more about showing that you are responsible with money than about the actual number. Makes and sense. And that people will get these accreditation, accreditation letters without having the numbers we've named. Makes you sense. Know, they just show that they know how to handle money and investing. You know, so it really mm -hmm. is kind of, like I said, fly by night. So just yeah. like every government bureaucracy ever, it's just all fucking bullshit. I'm going to chalk it up to that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to our <laughs> listeners from the SEC. Yeah, to our Don't listeners from the SEC. Us. <laughs> this is, again, this is not to be construed <laughs> as investment <laughs> advice. <laughs> Definitely. All right. Anything else we're you're, talking about here today? Yeah. Uh, I think we wanted to talk... Uh, I think Pete, you wanted to maybe talk about the podcast that you have on, you know, the IC Alert Network. Uh, sure. Next week, I'm launching a podcast called Bitkenstein's Table. If you recognize the reference, great. You're in like the 0.1 percent of people who do. Uh, it's a philosopher named Wittgenstein. It's going to be a crypto philosophy podcast, which means we're looking at hundreds and hundreds, thousands of years of wisdom from people in economics, history, philosophy psychology you name it and applying it to crypto so come to learn if you're somebody who doesn't really read a lot of books but you want to pick up some wisdom from the mini books uh, and apply them to cryptocurrency to trading to blockchain projects to what kind of future we should build then check out Bitkenstein's table starting uh, next thursday and every thursday that's fourth Mm. thenceforth <laughs> thenceforth any chance you uh change that last part of uh the the table you know since we have a copyright on the the table aspect we don't even have a round table in this room <laughs> don't tell them that they don't know <laughs> they don't know that it's a rectangular kitchen table from like the 80s true <laughs> don't listen it's a very nice table let's just leave it at that <laughs> And you make guests sit at this little <laughs> sub table. Until what we have this? video, You're they at the don't kids know table. <laughs> We put you at the kids table. It's true. That's, that's just to let you know who's boss. Yeah. You're not a host. <laughs> well, I'll have you guys on my podcast at some point. Appreciate you, Pete. All Take right. out of. Well, thanks for coming on, Pete. And as always, Q, I think we did a fantastic job this week. You killed it, man. For all of our listeners out there, if you'd like to comment on our YouTube video or on SoundCloud... We will maybe read your comments out loud on the next episode. Seeing as we get so many comments flooding in, it might be hard to figure out which one you are. But It's too much. Yeah, but uh, we'll try and get to you. Last week we had three, so if you feel free to comment <laughs> on it, we'll definitely uh, try and give you a shout out. Always looking for awesome new opportunities to look for. Definitely. And as always, you can visit icoalert.com to find the most comprehensive list of ICOs, pre-ICOs, both upcoming and active. Also, check out our new trending feature on our website. Ooh. If you go to icoalert.com, you can see that we have a new trending uh, top 10 features. So basically the most popular, uh, these aren't rankings. These, these are basically the most popular ICOs on our website, ICOs and pre-ICOs. And then below that is a content feed. So you can see all the content from our blog uh, and yeah, we just updated that this past week. So we hope you enjoy it. Let us know any feedback you have on that. And that's it. And there we go. I'll see you guys next week.
ICO Alert maintains the only trusted comprehensive list of pre-ICOs and initial coin offerings. This Pittsburgh-based startup has grown to serve over 1 million users in less than a year. But how did it get started? Well, at first, the company was just an online tool for two brothers, Mike and Rob Finch, to keep a calendar of their favorite ICOs. After just a few months, the team has grown to over 14 team members and produced hundreds of ICO reports. These in-depth reports feature exclusive interviews and offer insight into past, active, and future ICOs. Head on over to ICOalert.com, meet the team, and use their game-changing My Portfolio function. Track your favorite blockchain projects. Become your own venture capitalist. Only at ICOalert.com.